Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Monthly Roundup. Every month, we at Partners for Access bring to you some of the most important news developments in the orphan drug cell and gene therapy world and what they mean to you. Welcome to this month's episode of the podcast. My name is Max Rex and I'm a consultant at P4A. And this week, I'll be speaking about a couple of news stories relating to the US Food and Drug Administration, the, the FDA. Firstly, Peter Marks, who is head of the FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, held a fireside discussion at the World Medical Innovation Forum's virtual meeting last week. The topic of discussion was the regulation of seven gene therapies. And Dr. Marx spoke about the need for cell and gene therapy manufacturers to ensure more consistency in their products. So cell and gene therapies are inherently more complex than traditional types of drugs. So it is to be expected that there would be more challenges to ensure consistency of drugs often made from human cells. Issues surrounding the consistency of manufacturing cell and gene therapies have led to a number of high profile delays in the development of various treatments recently. Most notably in November of last year, Bluebird Bio was forced to push back its timelines for the approval of lentiglobin for sickle cell disease after the FDA cited a number of issues with the manufacturing process. And just this week, Iovance Biotherapeutics similarly delayed an upcoming cell therapy for similar reasons. Dr. Marx believes that, quote, developers get very excited about the fact that their product produces an important effect, but they don't worry as much about reproducibly making that product. At the moment, this is perhaps one of the most significant challenges that is facing cell and gene therapy manufacturers. Here at P4A, we spend a lot of time looking at the challenges associated with commercializing cell and gene therapies, but none of those really matter if the manufacturing and regulatory issues are not sorted first. So what is the FDA doing about this issue? Well, in, in 2020, the agency published six documents with guidance for cell and gene therapy manufacturers on a variety of topics, including chemistry, manufacturing and control information, and long-term follow-up of patients in trials. There is still a concerted effort being made by the FDA to get ahead of these issues, but this is such a fast-moving area that that can be very difficult. Especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, government budgets will be under scrutiny and funds could be limited. However, the FDA is expanding the Centre for Biologics Evaluation and Research by recruiting more staff at the moment. The problems that have arisen for a number of manufacturers further go to show the need for early engagement between companies and the FDA. Companies have to be open with the FDA about their plans, with the FDA providing clear feedback as early as possible in order to make sure that delays are limited as much as possible as ultimately it's patients who suffer the most in these situations. With an increased staff, there is hope that the FDA will be able to give more frequent and detailed feedback 
to the industry in the future. Sticking with the FDA, despite President Biden now having been in office for over four months, he is still yet to formally nominate a new FDA commissioner. Since his inauguration, Dr. Janet Woodcock, an FDA veteran who's had many senior roles, including director of the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, has been the acting commissioner. The decision not to nominate a new commissioner has raised some eyebrows, given the FDA is such an important body now, especially during the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Part of the reason why President Biden appears not to be in a huge rush to appoint a permanent head is that he is comfortable with Dr. Woodcock in the role. It's understood that she and Dr. Joshua Sharfstein, former principal deputy FDA commissioner during the Obama administration, are the two finalists under consideration for the role. Although it appears that Dr. Woodcock could well be the president's favorite, there has been some fairly strong pushback from a number of Democratic senators over her role in the FDA approving many opioids during the opioid epidemic. The FDA commissioner, despite being a political appointee, is still generally seen as an independent and nonpartisan position. In recent years, despite significant opposition when he was nominated, former commissioner Scott Gottlieb was widely respected within the FDA and, and outside. Recently, there have been calls for the position to be made independent officially with a set term limit, similar to that of the FBI director. However, it doesn't appear that that will happen anytime soon. The lack of a confirmed permanent FDA commissioner does not have any significant material effects on the agency being able to carry out its major functions. The agency will continue to assess new products and provide guidance as per usual. And Dr. Woodcock is very aware of all the workings of the FDA. However, it could have a bigger impact on whether any larger initiatives or significant policy changes are made. And then there could also be an impact on the morale of FDA employees. After what has been a very difficult and challenging year or so, where there was very clear friction between the FDA and the last administration, many staff could well be feeling the strain. Endpoints News reported recently that the industry group PHRMA was keen to see a greater sense of urgency in filling this role, saying, quote, for the agency to continue providing critical science-based regulatory oversight of our nation's medicine supply, we believe it is vital for a qualified permanent commissioner to be named in a timely manner. Liaising with industry is one of the most important parts of the FDA commissioner role, with most of the FDA's budget coming from industry fees. It's critical that whoever the next commissioner is, they're able to work constructively with industry, as well as providing an independent and rational voice. The lack of urgency to fill this position perhaps is related to how the new president has not made healthcare reform his immediate focus. Understandably, he has focused primarily on the recovery from the pandemic in his first few months in office. 
However, given the current makeup of the Senate, with both Democrats and Republicans holding 50 seats, it will be very difficult to get enough Republicans to support some of the many healthcare-related proposals from President Biden's manifesto. Things like drug pricing reform, introducing international reference pricing to Medicare, and allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices directly with pharma companies are unlikely to gain bipartisan support. The president has spent so much of his political capital on passing the COVID relief bill, but there is little left for some of these issues. So as always, progress on healthcare and drug pricing reform in the US remains slow, and that looks set to continue for the near future. And that's it for this month. For more news and analysis, go to our website www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next month.